There is hardly a debate about the lack of success of South Africa's vaccine rollout. As we head into June, South Africa stands behind many countries around the world, including countries on our own continent, with regard to the number of people per hundred vaccinated. With only about a million people having received the vaccine, there is little that an inspiring speech by the president or a carefully crafted statement could do to convince South Africans not to be despondent. Add a third wave, into the mix and the fact that we are in the midst of winter and there is little wonder that South Africans are concerned. As a member of Discovery Medical Aid, if I pinned my hopes on Discovery or any of the other medical aids being the savior during this process, I might have been left disappointed. Of course, I'm aware of the facts. I'm aware that although regulation-wise, medical aids can purchase the vaccine, the pharmaceutical companies have not allowed them to do so. There are also some things that I assume. I assume that Discovery is trying because I have received years of cover, of care for myself and for my family. I know what an innovative company they are. And I also assume that they are working, walking rather, a very fine line with an eye on a future partnership around NHI. I've had the privilege of chatting to Dr. Ron Whelan, who is the Chief Commercial Officer at Discovery Health on a number of occasions. I found him to be open, authentic, caring, and I also know how hard he is working to get vaccines into the arms of South Africans. That is why I asked for this podcast. I'm Howard Feldman. This is a Synthesis COVID podcast. My guest today is Dr. Ron Whelan, CIO of Discovery Health. Ron, a very, very good afternoon to you. Thank you for taking the time to speak to us. How are you? Yeah, good afternoon to you too, Howard. Uh, yeah, thank you for hosting us. Yeah, looking forward to the, the conversation this afternoon. So Discovery, obviously, uh, from, from everything we've seen, is, is in a difficult position. The, we know to some extent that you're involved in the process. Uh, you've been very careful not to criticize and comment on, on the process along the way. We know your vaccine centers are open. Anybody who's able to go there who has qualified speaks very highly of it. Take us through a little bit of the journey through uh, to get to this point uh, on the 1st of June? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, the last year has been challenging you know, for all of us. Uh, yeah, COVID has uh, you know, thrown us all a curveball during the last year or so, and we're over a year into the pandemic already, and we've gone through you know, various phases and various waves of the pandemic. Obviously, the latest phase is the, the vaccination rollout campaign. Um, and it has been a challenging vaccination you know, cam- campaign for a variety of you know, reasons. Um, you know, some of the reasons within our know, control as a country and many of the reasons you're know, outside of our control as a country. I think you know, the first and you know, most important you know, starting point on this is that it really has been a global race for vaccines uh, you know, globally. Um, you know, so you know, we're up against you know, some uh, pretty uh, hard-hitting and you know, powerful countries globally, the, you know, the likes of the US, the UK, Europe, uh, Australia, and so on and so forth. We've got you know, significant resources at their disposal, and you know, certainly um, you know, lots of your know, muscle on the, the global landscape. And uh, we're you know, we've really got to punch above our, our weight on, on that front. And as you rightly mentioned, it's uh, been you know, challenging you know, in terms of your know, procuring your know, vaccines globally. The manufacturers have only been engaging with national uh, governments in in vaccine procurement. I can tell you that you know, as Discovery 
we started engaging manufacturers as early as August last year already uh, with a view to you know, seeing whether we could unlock your vaccines, not only for discovery, but you know, for the country more broadly. And you're faced your many, many uh, challenges you know, throughout that uh, journey. So it's really been a global race you know, for vaccines. And then, of course, you know, we've had some you know, unfortunate setbacks in our vaccine program. You're starting you know, as early as in, in February, you'll recall the AstraZeneca. Mm, the uh, one million doses. Yeah. Sort of right, yeah, through COVAX. And unfortunately, uh, you know, shortly after arriving, a study was released out of Fitz under Shabir Mahdi that proved that the AstraZeneca vaccine was uh, you know, going to be you know, largely ineffective against the new variant at the time, the B1351 variant. You know, and as a result, yeah, we couldn't use those AstraZeneca doses. And then went into a, uh, a you know, procurement phase um, that uh, you, you know, with you know, Pfizer and then you know, with you know, J&J, um, you know, fortunate enough for your know, Glenda Grant team to unlock some J&J doses and then ran into some obstacles with J&J. You'll remember the clotting uh, challenges your know, J&J had in the middle of the Sasunke trial. Uh, which is completely out of our control. And, and absurd, uh, I might add. Absurd, uh, given the fact that uh, that the, the numbers were vanishingly low, as Professor Barry Shub said to me, and yet we stopped it um, and, uh, and delayed it once again. Yeah, at the same time, I think uh, you know, what I have been reassured, uh, reassured about you know, throughout COVID, and, you know, as well as you know, the vaccination program, is that our institutional structures have held firm and strong. Yeah, and yes. it shows that we have a very good regulatory uh, framework within you know, South Africa. And actually, that, as a clinician, that gives me a lot of reassurance. It means that our quality standards are high. We don't cut corners around your qualities, your particular when it comes to your clinical your outcomes and parameters. So I, yeah, I must say, I was yeah, reassured by us, you're putting the, the J&J uh, your program on hold for a short while, waiting for the data to emerge. As soon as the data emerged, then yeah, we, moved, we moved ahead again. And we've seen a similar uh, you know, delay now with uh, J&J in the last few, a few yeah, weeks. That was one of our questions because I thought we had procured another 1.1 million doses, but uh, that they were meant to arrive in May, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, exactly. And you know, another unfortunate uh, instance you're completely out, outside of South Africa's control. Um, so the active pharmaceutical ingredient for the J&J vaccine is manufactured in the, U, in the U.S., in fact, in Baltimore right. in the U.S., um, and the FDA picked up some uh, manufacturing uh, irregularities in the, in the manufacture of the, the active pharmaceutical ingredient. Um, in fact, that uh, plant in the US here manufactures the active pharmaceutical ingredient for the AstraZeneca vaccine and the J&J vaccine. And there seems to have been you know, some you know, uh, um, you know, issues you have picked up in that manufacture. That active pharmaceutical ingredient was used for the production of the uh, vaccine out of the Aspen facility in the Eastern Cape. Um, but subsequently, it looks like uh, they've, uh, you know, that ingredient has been, been cleared by the, F the FDA. We're waiting for final reports on that. Yeah, so it looks like it'll come out, you're fine. But you know, once again, I think it just you know, shows you the level of rigor and regulatory, you're making sure that you know, we don't put the public at any, at, at any risk you know, throughout this your, your process. But do you find that uh, is, are these types of challenges unique to South Africa? We're not, you know, when we look at other countries and we look at some of the, the numbers that they've managed to achieve, and then we look at us with just hitting a million since February, which is uh, five months, is, is, is everybody else going through what we are going through? 
Oh, there's no doubt we're behind. I mean, uh, you know, when you compare our progress to the US, the UK, um, you know, Israel in particular, uh, mm. even places like Chile, you know, they've man managed to vaccinate you know, upwards of you know, 50, 60% of their, their populations. At the same time, there are many countries that are in a you know, similar position to us. Yeah, so Australia has just got its your program uh, going at the moment. New Zealand is just starting to get its your pro program going. Uh, many countries across Europe are you know, in the early stages of their program, similarly in you know, South America. So you know, while we're, we're behind in comparison with some of the, you know, the bigger countries, you know, we're certainly not behind in you know, global terms. I think uh, you know, we're always trying... Yeah, we set our, our bar quite high in South Africa and want to be you know, ahead of the curve. It's not great being you know, behind. Um, no. But, you know, comparatively, globally, and not in, not in terrible shape. And, and in truth, it, it, it's a fairly different position for Discovery to be in because to a large extent, Discovery is a company that's always ahead. Uh, you mentioned punching above your weight, ahead in terms of innovation. Uh, this, is, this is not a position that as a company, I would imagine, you used to being in? No, not at all. A very awkward position for us to be in. You know, we like to be at the forefront, you know, cutting edge, you know, technology, uh, drugs, um, you know, any, you know, we'd like to make you know, uh, the latest oncologicals available to our members, the latest surgeries available to our members, you know that you will fly your people out to the U.S. if you absolutely, and this is why I say I know that as a as as a member of Discovery. So therefore, it's almost a very different conversation to be having. Um, part of my concern is uh, that that you are almost being, from a marketing point of view, co-branded. With government and and I know you can't talk to that. I can talk to that, but that's because that's a concern for me, um, as you know, somebody who who knows the company from a bit of a different perspective. Uh, it's it's it it has put Discovery, I think, in a compromised position. It, it it's it's a very very difficult position because it's very clear to me that you want to do what you can to assist the whole country and government, but at the same time, I happen to think it might be coming at a cost. What's your thoughts around that? Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, we acknowledge that we're part of a broader ecosystem. Yes, yeah, so we have an obligation to protect our members. We have an obligation to protect our employees. We have an obligation to South Africa. So we, we play many, many roles in the, 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 yeah, the ecosystem and they're all important roles. I think yeah, the uh, COVID pandemic is yeah, really yeah, brought to the fore around you know, none of us are safe until we're, we're all safe. You know, so I think you know, we recognize that uh, you know, even if we were, to, were able to procure vaccines you know, early in the process and able to get the discovery base you know, vaccinated, um, in fact, yeah, the base would not be protected because the broader environment would not be protected. You know? So I think there is a, a big uh, national uh, role for us to play in, you know, in accelerating you know, the uptake of vaccinations you know, across, across the country. You know, and that, you know, in, you know, that indirectly protects our, our membership you know, base as well. Um, and I think we feel quite quite strongly about that. We've been part of the B4SA process, part of the national process you know, since the start of the pandemic, you know, as early as your know, 4th of March you know, last year, you know, set in you know, these you know, uh, steering committee discussions around you know, guide, guiding the national response. And we're, and we're proud, about, uh, proud of the, the contribution we've made. Would we have liked to have gone faster? Of course. Yeah, and I think as a country, we'd all you know, want, wanted to go faster. Um, 
But I think yeah, we are getting to a point where you know, the vast majority of the, the population will, will get vaccinated. It will be an equitable you know, rollout around that. And you know, ultimately, we, we, you know, we will all be safe. Mm. I, I mentioned a concern that uh, Sir Ramaphosa, the president, mentioned the Sinovac. He mentioned Sputnik V. Um, that, of course, you know, made me a little bit concerned. I spoke to Professor Adrian Purin, who's the uh, um, acting head of the NRCD, and uh, he said again, very, very reassuring, actually, something you alluded to before, is that we have the structures in this country and, and nothing will be approved unless it needs to be approved. Uh, would, you, would you echo that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, our institutions have held strong. If you look at the two vaccines, notwithstanding the delays in J&J, Pfizer and J&J are both you know, uh, very reputable, long-standing you know, pharmaceutical country, uh, companies. Mm -hmm. you know, these vaccines have undergone rigorous, rigorous trial, you know, trials. Um, they've you know, both passed you know, with flying colors. They've both been you know, implemented at scale now, the Pfizer vaccine in your particular yeah, I'm very proud that you know, we've got these two vaccines in, you know, in play. Uh, they really are you know, ex exceptional, exceptional products. At the same time, I think we're seeing some good data on you know, the uh, Sinopharm uh, vaccine out of China in particular. Um, you know, it's been rolled out across you know, several countries, including you know, countries across you know, the, the UAE, are seeing really you know, good results. Um, but our SARPRA is holding back on you know, uh, fully-fledged you know, data and you know, wants to make sure that you know, those you know, vaccines are entirely safe and, and effective. Same holds true for Sputnik. You know, I think you're seeing good results in you know, certain you know, countries. Um, <clears throat> perhaps not as much you know, transparency on the data, but we're holding back. And as soon as we get you know, the transparency, we'd certainly you know, look at putting those vaccines and you know, some other vaccines in the pipeline into play. But I think it's a testimony to our clinicians, our scientists, and our regulatory authorities in, in, in SA. Let's just talk for a moment about the, the actual process, because that has certainly, we, we put out this, the fact that we're going to be having this podcast to social media. And a lot of the questions we got back are around the registration process. What is the point of registering on the discovery site as well as government site? Uh, do they talk to each other? Um, why isn't discovery looking at uh, people with comorbidities. Uh, can we just talk a little bit about the registration process and uh, and fulfillment? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, firstly, uh, you know, we all know that there's a, a national electronic vaccination data system, or otherwise called the you know, EBDS. You have to be registered on EBDS to uh, access vaccination in South Africa. And there's a very simple reason for that, in that you know, we need to coordinate a national response and we need to be able to track how the populace has been you know, vaccinated. You can imagine if we didn't have a system like that, you know, how chaotic things would be and how it would have been impossible to track who'd been vaccinated and who hadn't been vaccinated. So we would never have a sense on you know, how, how quickly we're moving to your know, population you know, immunity. So, and I think your credit to uh, the National Department of Health and Government to getting that system you know, up and running. 
I think uh, we had uh, lots of questions around the, the, you know, the system uh, around you know, whether it would be ready in time, whether it would work. And I must say, I was you know, delighted yeah, in the first yeah, two weeks of the program where it's up and running, it works. Of course, there's some you know, glitches and teething issues in the system, but I think you know, those of us who built systems before recognize that you know, there are never uh, not teething issues in, in systems. Yeah, so far, the, implemented so quickly as well. Yeah, exactly. In so far, the uh, Discovery Vaccination Portal. So we um, yeah, designed and developed the Discovery Vaccination Portal very early in the, the process yeah, and developed it in parallel with the EVDS yeah, system. Um, it's a full electronic yeah, health record that's connected into our electronic health record yeah, ecosystem. Um, it's designed to yeah, support EVDS. It's also designed to you know, provide discovery members with an enhanced your vaccination journey. I think uh, when we looked at the EVDS system, we recognized that there were some features there that uh, were missing that our discovery members you know, would you know, see benefit from. So additional information on vaccines, digital vaccine you know, certificates, um, you know, second dose reminders, and the range of the other functionalities that you know, we're, we're working on. So we thought it was a, an important adjunct to, to, to EVDS. Um, and you know, I'm delighted we've got it in place because it now allows us to you know, continue to build that you know, uh, functionality out over the coming months. Remember, we're going to be you know, vaccinating over the, you know, the, the course of the next you know, six months at, at least. And then it'll probably be you know, boosted doses that will follow on the back of that. So you know, it, it gives us a very powerful way of you know, supporting our members through this initial phase of the vaccination journey and subsequent you know, phases the, the, thereafter. But is there value in a member uh, registering on the discovery site as well as EVDS? Yeah, so it, uh, I mean, I can let you know that we are busy with an integration with uh, EVDS at the moment. Um, oh. That will mean that you will only need to register on one, one or the other. One or the other. And it should right. really streamline the journey for uh, your discovery members. We've been working on this here for a while, while already. Um, we'll hopefully announce this in the, the next few days. So you're getting a, a sneak preview. <laughs> well, you've just announced it now. Well, kind of. <laughs> um, it's great for discovery members. It's great for EVDS and that uh, we get to drive yeah, the uptake of uh, EVDS um, you know, through the discovery you know, me membership base. It's uh, great for discovery members in that you know, you'll, you'll, you'll come in through your one, one, one portal you know, going, going forward. Right. Right. And, uh, and, and I would imagine that'll allow um, discovery members at least to have a different type of experience, because a lot of the questions that we received were from discovery members who would say things like, um, what happens if I missed my SMS and I, I couldn't get there? Who do I contact? Who do I speak to? It's almost as though uh, every, there, there's this confusion and no one knows where to go. I would imagine once this is integrated, that discovery members at least would have another point of reference to be able to, 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 to speak. Well, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, we, as, as Discovery, we've actually uh, employed over 150 people in a dedicated vaccination call center, recognizing the, wow. the, you know, the confusion, the uncertainty, the anxiety in the, the landscape. Uh, so I've had that call center up and running you know, for a few weeks already. Um, and that really you know, provides your members with a layer of support on the Discovery Vaccination you know, Portal. Um, also recognize that 
um, you know, the EVDS system didn't have a call center for, for many, many weeks. It's now, you know, I'm glad to say, has a call center up and running. And while that call center didn't exist on the EVDS frontier, we really needed you know, to support your members through both the discovery vaccination portal journey as well as the EVDS uh, journey. Ron, a lot of questions that, that we're receiving a lot of questions around uh, people walk-ins, maybe at the end of the day, if there's vaccines left over, um, if somebody is over 60 but doesn't have an SMS. Can you talk us through that? Because there seems to be one day in Business Insider, there was an article saying, yes, over 60s walk in. The next day, they, it, it wasn't. So there's quite a lot of confusion there. Also, uh, some, uh, some comments from Cape Townian um, uh, viewers saying what's happening down in in Cape Town. Can you give us an overview there, please? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, let me quickly update you on the Discovery Vaccination Center rollout. Yeah, so we obviously get a lot of your questions on, on this. I think, uh, firstly, we uh, are planning a rollout of vaccination centers here across the, the country. We started at One Discovery Place, and I'm very proud to let you know that One Discovery Place actually the uh, biggest vaccination center in NSA at the moment. You're closely followed by nice. colleagues at Mill Park. Uh, we've actually, yeah, as of you know, today, have vaccinated over 15,000 people across here at One Discovery Place. And our intention is certainly to roll out your similar your centers across uh, across the country. We'd like to get to the Western Cape, um, Eastern Cape, your KZN, as you know, quickly as possible. We are facing some uh, vaccine supply constraints. Yeah, so the reason you know, we've had to pull back a little bit on our rollout plans is that there's a shortage of vaccines in, in South Africa, uh, for the, the duration of June. As soon as that un unlocks, then we're able to accelerate on, on our rollout. There's also been some challenges in getting licenses across your provinces outside of your Gauteng, um, and we're working through some of those uh, regulatory challenges. But I can, I can assure you that uh, as soon as you know, possible, we're, we're going to be in you know, the Western Cape and you know, KZN and you know, various, various other provinces. Insofar as you know, how the vaccination centres you know, run, um, we prefer to run the discovery vaccination centers on a scheduled only basis. So uh, the EVDS system schedules you know, people in two hour slots for the, the vaccination centers. Um, that's important for two reasons. You know, the first reason that's important is it gives everyone a uniform experience. You can imagine at one discovery place, for example, where we're vaccinating in the order of 2,300 people a day. If you say, come on Wednesday, all 2,300 people arrive at eight o'clock on Wednesday morning, and uh, you end up just spending uh, the bulk of your day waiting. So if you clunk it out into two hour slots, everyone gets a, a uniform experience and low, low wait times. The second reason we need to do that is we're obviously in the midst of a third wave and um, you need to spread the load on, on these centers so that you don't create super spreader events. So we're very, very cautious around uh, COVID uh, your protocols and making sure that all of our vaccination centers are are very you know, safe and hygienic environments that there's your adequate your airflow and your protection for everyone you know, across the vaccination center. So for those two reasons, we run on a, on a scheduled only basis. Um, we did have a, a walk-in day um, about, I think it was you know, two weeks ago. So what happened was the EVDS system didn't schedule any appointments for us on that particular day. Um, we sat with uh, doses that were already drawn up, ready for the day's vaccination, but no one in the, in the building. Uh, so we were quite you know, anxious about that, and we were preparing uh, to send out a, a message to uh, uh, your members and your people in the area that you would run 
you know, that particular day as a walk-in. It slipped out on social media, and within 45 minutes, you know, we had you know, a queue 2,000 people deep um, on both sides of the, the building, who we unfortunately that they were only able to accommodate you know, in the order of you know, 1,400 people, so to turn some folks away. But I think you know, that day you know, just you know, demonstrated for us you know, the uh, you know, firstly, you know, the, you know, the, the, the level of the demand across the system and the anxiety you know, to get vaccinated, but also um, you know, the dangers of running you know, a walk-in at scale. You know, there's you know, real danger around your know, crowds you know, building up and that doesn't become, you know, is, is not safe from a, a COVID you know, perspective and certainly becomes a, you know, a, an uncomfortable environment you know, from a wait time perspective. So, we much prefer to run on a on a scheduled but scheduled basis. It gives us uniformity, and we'll certainly run all of our vaccination centres in, in that way going forward. This no walk-in policy is that only at the discovery uh, v- uh, venues, or is that a an edict across all sorts of all vaccination sites? Well, certainly across discovery and across most uh, of the private sector sites. There are certain sites that are running a, a hybrid model, so part walking, part scheduled. Um, that happens uh, across a few of the uh, private private sector sites, and then you're more commonly across you know, some of the uh, the public sector sites. What you typically find in those models is that there would be one queue for schedule appointments and another you know, queue uh, for walk-ins. Okay. And you know, what you typically find across those sites is that the queue for walk-ins is significantly longer than the queue for scheduled appointments. So I think on on the basis of that, you know, rather go for a you know, scheduled appointment if you know, if at all or, you know, if at all possible. Um, and yeah, you know, we're certainly you know, trying to process as you know, quickly quickly as you know, possible. So um, yeah, so walk in across most most sites. Sorry, it's scheduled across most sites, and then you're walking in certain you know, instances. When, when, when I spoke to the Department of Health, I think it was on Friday, one of the things that he mentioned was the algorithm that the EVDS is using, which is to say that nobody, the minute you, you've hit your 60th birthday at the moment, whether you're 60 or 168, it doesn't really matter. Whether you have comorbidities or not, it doesn't really matter. All that really matters is that you're over 60, that when you've registered, and also that you live in an urban area within 10 kilometers of a vaccination site and in a non-urban area, in a rural area within 30 kilometers. Uh, do you foresee that changing? And, and is discovery, are you comfortable with that? Because a lot of the doctors that I've spoken to as well are quite concerned about the fact that people with comorbidities aren't being vaccinated at this stage if they're under 60. Yeah, so I think there's two parts to that. I think yeah, the first part on that is we completely agree with the prioritization of people above the age of 60. Yeah, the evidence there is conclusive. Yeah, those are the population groups at the higher risk of uh, hospitalization and poor outcomes if they you know, contract COVID. In fact, what we find in the, data, the discovery data is you, if you're over the age of 70, over the age of 80, you have 50 to 60% you know, chance of being hospitalized as a result of COVID. So that's just no-brainer terrain. Start with the elderly, elderly populations. I think you know, we, we, we certainly would have preferred to you know, do what most other countries have done and start over 80s, over 70s, over 60s. You know, so perhaps you wouldn't have opened up to the entire you know, over 60 population, bearing in mind that there are 5 million people over the age of 60 in South Africa. 
which is a, a lot, a lot of people. When you start to narrow it into over 70s and over 80s, it becomes a much, a much you know, smaller you know, cadre. So perhaps you open up a little bit too, too wi widely initially. Um, but yeah, that said, I think it will get to those populations very quickly. The second point is your point around uh, comorbidity. So we, we certainly know that there are certain uh, chronic conditions, most notably diabetes, hypertension, ischemic heart disease, and a few other conditions that result in uh, poorer COVID-related COVID outcomes. Um, this has been a, a more challenging uh, debate you know, for us you know, to have. Yeah, there's, you know, so while there's a clear rationale to um, you know, prioritize your people with certain you know, comorbidities, um, it's relatively easy to do in a medical scheme environment. And yeah, I can tell you, we've already identified 474,000 members below the age of 60 with comorbidities. In a public sector environment, much, much harder to do. In fact, you're almost impossible to do because you don't have the electronic your health records and, and, and the data. Uh, so I think, um, you know, being a, a national program, you know, we need to drive towards your know, equitable you know, access. And if you kind of got your one set of data on one side and another you know, you know, lack of data on another side, you need to find a you know, common meeting point on that. And as a result of that, I think you know, the, the conclusion there is if we follow a very strict you know, age prioritization, as most countries have done for practical purposes and clinical purposes, you end up meeting you know, the, the objective um, in, in, a, in, a sim, in a similar way. Um, we might have done it slightly differently, um, but at the same time, I think you're not, not uncomfortable with the, you know, the current, you know, current approach of your know, age-based prioritization. Right. And in, in terms of that comment, uh, which, which, which is interesting, we might have done things differently. Discovery has been very um, uncritical of, of, the, of any of the processes or, or any of the decisions made. That, um, I would imagine, was a deliberate decision. How have you managed that where you haven't necessarily agreed with something that you were forced to? In a way, I use the word force, but that you were compelled to to live with. Yeah, it's been quite an interesting experience. I think uh, having worked so um, you know closely now with the national department of your health team and the the director general and the minister in particular, you start to understand some of the pressures and strains that you know, they face on a day to day basis as well. It's a complex, complex environment. Yeah, so it's a you know, yeah, they've got your know, provincial pressures, they've got treasury pressures, they've got your know, regulatory pressures. I mean, it is very, very you know, uh, com you know, complex environment. So, you know, in many instances, you know, we would you know, put a recommendation on the table and they you would know, outline you know, the three or four reasons why, why that wasn't achievable. And you know, when, you, when you listen to them, you're like, hmm, yeah, that yeah, makes sense. Like Those issues will probably you know, react in a, in, a, in, in, yeah, in a similar way. Um, uh, yeah, so I think on the, on the one hand, you know, there is a lot of justification for what has you know, transpired and we have a, certainly have a greater appreciation for some of the complexities of your know, government uh, business. Um, we also have an appreciation for the way our systems are structured and you know, the way the institutions you know, work and now there's your know, good you know, safeguards you know, for, all of, for all of us. Um, at the same time, I think you know, we have a, a restless um, 
your thirst to to get things done and check things up and uh, uh, yeah I think our government your counterparts have you know, learned from uh, you know, some of our restlessness as well and you know, some of our ability to you know, move quickly think quickly uh, you know, push the boundaries a little bit so it's you know, been quite an interesting yeah um, so, so it's in, it, it is a fascinating point because how significant has discovery's contribution been to the national rollout Right. I'm asking I, you to be immodest. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I would prefer uh, your yeah, government counterparts to yeah, comment on that and your yeah, partners in your yeah, B4SA to comment on that. Uh, I mean, what I, can, what I can tell you is we have done everything we yeah, physically and humanly yeah, possible could be. Yeah. So if there was a problem that needed to get solved, we would... You know, throw uh, resources at and throw time and energy at you know, and uh, invested you know, significantly in you know, all aspects of the, the program. It's just the, the way we're wired. If there's a problem, the problem needs to get solved in, in one way or the other. And I hope that's made some, some small contribution to unlocking some of the, you know, the elements of the program. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. What has it meant to Ron Whelan the last couple of, uh, the last year or so? Wow, that's a, that's a, you know, Challenging question. Um, so I think you're, um, you're firstly, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm humbled to have been part of this uh, you know, journey. You know, there are many, many leaders involved in the, this you know, initiative. Um, you know, Adrian has you know, spent an enormous amount of time on this initiative. You know, my colleague, Ryan Noach, has you know, spent you know, time on this. Our colleague, Yonda and Saluba, has yes spent time on this and significant, significant effort. Our colleagues at B4SA have really leaned in. And you know, for me personally to be a part of this, your team has been you know, hugely um, you know, rewarding and, and, and humbling. Oh, I think right. equally it's you know, given us uh, an appreciation of, as I mentioned before, some of the complexities of you know, running you know, your country effectively and really you know, running a, a national program at scale. So certainly have you know, learned Learned a lot, lot, you know, a lot on that front. Um, and then I think uh, probably most important is the uh, ability to be you know, agile. So we've needed to be agile. Things change on a daily basis in COVID. Uh, you're almost by the hour. Systems don't work. Supply chains don't work. Your, um, your, contra- your, your contracts are you're complicated. Um, yeah, the variants emerge, treatment regimes change. It is um, new stuff day in, day out. Yeah, we read preprints on a daily basis. I mean, I think I was remarking to a team yeah, earlier on this week. If you recall last year, this time, the WHO recommendation was yeah, we didn't need to wear masks. Uh, I know. I keep uh, reminding some of the experts what they told us right in the beginning and how things have changed, but it has changed. It's been humbling for the doctors as well, because coming from a position that they know so much, almost realized that there's not a, there's many things they didn't know. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I think we've, uh, coming out of COVID, we've learned how to learn, I would say. And that's what you know, we've learned. We've learned yeah. how to learn fast, mm. uh, which is, yeah. We've moved from these long journal articles to, you know, Twitter and preprints and 
places you never wanted to go and will never want to go again after after covid for sure it's brilliant brilliant uh, we yeah i think there's many many more things we can do in healthcare if we move you know, much more quickly on some of the emerging science and the emerging evidence and we put things out into you know, social media and they get critiqued on the on the fly uh been fascinating fascinating to watch and uh of course, you know, we haven't always got it right. Um, you know, there's just there's there's no doubt about that. But many times, if we have also you know got it right, and we're very confident that we're going to navigate you know, the remaining you know remaining phases of this pandemic safely and you know, efficiently. Well, that really is 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 the important question now. Is how do you foresee the next few months playing out? Are you confident that South Africans are going to get a vaccine in their arms, and uh, and that we're going to get we're going to be getting it in our arms efficiently? Without a doubt. I mean, I think uh, the, uh, what gives me the most confidence is we got over 60 million doses of vaccine uh, scheduled for South Africa. Um, and I'm confident that the J&J uh, doses will, will come through you know, at some stage. Um, it is a good underlying vaccine. It's been a technical issue in the manufacturing process rather than a fundamental issue. 60 million doses gets all adults in South Africa vaccinated. No. Um, it probably gets us into people between the ages of 12 to, to 18 as well, you know, which is you know, where vaccines have now been, been approved. Uh, it's a mountain to climb. I mean, uh, these are big, big numbers. Um, yeah, even if you look at the discovery base, and I'll share some of the numbers with you, we've got you know, uh, 3.1 million people you know, across our client base that need to get vaccinated. You know, that translates into somewhere around 5.5 million uh, vaccine doses that need to be delivered. Uh, five and a half million doses over a period of four to six months needs, means that we've got to be vaccinating uh, 40,000 people a day. Now, 40,000 people a day uh, sounds uh, manageable when you put it on a piece of paper, but uh, just to help you calibrate, 40,000 people is the equivalent of two Comrades Marathon fields. And we've all seen the start and finish for a Comrades Marathon people streaming across you know, the finish line of the Comrades Marathon, that's 20,000 people. You've yep. got to do 40,000 people okay. every single day for the next four to six months, um, day in, you know, day out. Um, and that's just to get the uh, discovery you know, client and membership base you know, vaccinated. Yeah. Many people. That is really, really immense. But you are reasonably confident. You actually sound more than reasonably. You actually sound very confident that this is going to happen and uh, and uh, that uh, that South Africans will be taken care of. We'll, we'll get there. I mean, just uh, yeah, I think uh, the word of caution to uh, your your audience is yeah, we just we've got to be a little bit uh, patient. Um, it is going to take uh, a little bit of time. Um, yeah, one of the things yeah, you probably saw earlier on, yeah, we've all got to wait our turn. Um, one of the things that yeah, really inspired me a little bit earlier earlier this week is yeah, the, the Duchess of Cambridge in the UK. I saw that. I thought that was incredible. Yeah, I was shocked. I was shocked that she hadn't been, that she had not been vaccinated. And I thought that's really, really incredible. Brilliant. I mean, yeah, hugely inspiring. Um, I think she's... Yeah, just under under 40, they're obviously vaccinating people between the ages of 30 and 32 in the, the UK at the moment. Um, and we've vaccinated, there are a million people in South Africa who've been vaccinated before you know, the, the Duchess of your Cambridge. Yeah, so, and uh, so 
a little bit of you know, patience in, in relative terms. You know, these you know, few months will you know, pale into you know, insignificance you know, over, you know, over time. At the same time, I don't want to underplay this. This is a, a serious pandemic. It's a serious infection. We must move as quickly as possible uh, to get people vaccinated as quickly as possible. We're on the cusp of the third wave. Um, we must you know, throw everything at this uh, to uh, you know, both your public sector and government sector if we can be vaccinating you know, three, four hundred thousand people a day, we must be doing that. Yeah. Absolutely right. Unfortunately, that is all we have time for. Dr. Ron Whelan, who is uh, the Chief Commercial Officer at Discovery Health. Thank you for all of the work that you are doing. Thanks for having, having a very uh, open and real conversation with me. I'm Howard Feldman. This has been a Synthesis COVID podcast. Don't forget to subscribe below. Keep sending us your questions. Our next conversation will be on Sunday, as always, with, with pulmonologist Dr. Anton Meiberg. Be safe, be careful, take care, and God bless.